Welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. We're happy to have you here with us again this week. The Beef Cattle Institute has several people here today that we have some topics that we want to discuss. We want to talk a little about flies. We want to talk about some of the travels some of our, our members have taken. Talk about beef quality assurance as well as bloat. But before we get into that, I've got uh, Bob Weber, Dustin Pendell, and Bob Larson here with us today. Morning, guys. Morning, Good morning. Brad. Hey, Brad. How's it going? I'm good. And we're, we were talking about, before we got on the air, talking a little bit about summertime, going to different places, going to the fairs. People are making hay. See a lot of people out making hay, doing things. And Bob, you, you yeah, spent we were, some time so traveling. We were over uh, the weekend. I uh, went to Oklahoma, took uh, our oldest, uh, Maddie, to uh, a showmanship and cattle fitting camp. So she's down um, having a big time. Um, How long does hard. she stay at camp? Uh, we go get her Wednesday, tomorrow, so... And the, and the whole camp, cattle fitting camp, the yeah, whole time? Yeah, you, you pull in and there's uh, there must be, there's probably 100 kids there. And all their tack, it's like county fair. Um, but they they got all these activities and they swim, It's they have a huge time. So. That's, what, that's what a kid needs is a combination county fair camp. Yeah. It's just it's, all it's, wrapped into one. She's, she's pretty excited. The only downside is, um, so she took a fall heifer uh, September and or October, I don't remember, but um, she was in heat yesterday. So, oh, excellent! Uh, last That's night, even uh, better. We get the you know the the night phone call at like eleven o'clock last night, and Maddie was uh, um, a little distraught about the heifer in heat. And I said, "Well, the upside is is this is a time limiting problem, right? She will probably not be in heat tomorrow. So yeah. things yeah. are looking up, <laughs> and you won't be the only kid with the heifer in heat." Out of a hundred that are there, I promise you. So, which is, which is, which is not a, a common phrase when your kid goes. You're not going to be the only kid there with it. Right, 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 right. It doesn't happen at every yeah, camp. It's not. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's true. But so, uh, I drove. Uh, I drove back and through Coffeeville, and I'd never been through Deering and Independence and in in that part of the world. So before the podcast, we were talking. And it's just a beautiful part of the state, and never been there. And crops down there, they've had a, apparently a lot more rain than we've had in, in Manhattan because the the corn's taller than the roadside fences, and wheat's already harvested, and it was idyllic. Excellent. And that's as we get into summer. One of the questions and one of the things that, that we've had several conversations about is fly control. Bob, you want to you talk a little bit about, and, and maybe before we even get into control, what, what kind of flies are you concerned about? Well, there are, are a number of flies that really cause problems to cattle as well as cattle producers. Um, horn flies is probably the one we talk about the most. Horn flies are the, are the flies that kind of just swarm right around the cattle. Um, you can get very high numbers of horn flies on cattle. Um, their yeah, name is thousand not per side. Yeah, yeah. Their, their name is not particularly good because they don't stay around the whole the horn or the pole. Where do, a lot they, of times where do they stay? Shoulders and back. Okay. Um, and and they take blood meals, so they're 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 annoying. They have biting mouth parts, so that, that the cattle are annoyed. And that we really think that there's a combination of what causes you know, decreased performance is the annoyance. So the cattle aren't as grazing, aren't grazing as well, but also just the, the blood meals and they're just constant. Uh, but those irritation. are the ones when you, when you look at calves or cows, those are the ones on their, on their sides and re relatively small. Yeah. They're little, little bitty flies yeah. and, and, but there's a lot of them. Um, the other fly we talk a lot about is face flies. Usually there's you know many fewer face flies on an animal and they tend to hang around the face um, but they oftentimes spend a lot of their time away from the cattle, which also raises one of the re reasons they're maybe a little bit harder to control than some other types of flies. But the face fly, 
it looks like housefly. It, yeah, it's about that size, and it's going to be around the eyes and face. Uh, and our main concern with face flies is the fact that, that it's one of the things that, that contributes to and, and can spread pink eye. Yeah. And, so. and so you said on horn flies, you said many hundred to Bob, and you, you said a thousand. How many should I start worrying about it? Because they, they'll always have a few flies. Yes, and and uh, I wouldn't want to be the researcher that discovered this, but basically what I've always read is two to three hundred on a side is kind of the number that you need to start um, doing some intervention. That, that when you get more than that, the cattle are starting to be negatively affected. Less than that, the cattle are pretty tough; they can they can handle that that amount. And so that's one of the reasons why you know very first thing in the spring, early in the fly season, is probably not the time to start fly control until the numbers really get up a little bit higher, and then you need to institute uh, some fly control. Well, unless you're using one of the feed-through products, which then you got to start. If you want to start that early, start that early. Oh, that's so really so some of the yeah the methods the methods that we have to control flies are our chemical methods, basically either pyrethrins or organophosphate classes of chemicals and a lot of times we'll deliver that with either a dust bag uh, an oil back rubber type of a, a device or or fly tags the other chemical that we do talk about is is what dr weber was talking about is a feed through larvicide so it actually it's uh, something you put in the mineral or feed that then um, these the stable fly no i'm sorry the horn fly and the face fly lay their eggs in fresh manure pats and so the insecticide actually ends up in the manure pat, and that's what controls it. So, and if you're using those feed through or insect growth regulator type products, uh, those need to be started early in the season. And people refer to those insect growth regulator IGR. IGR. Yes. Common terminology people talk about that's feed, feeding like. IGRs to the to the cattle. Yes. And 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 those are effective. Bob, you've you've used some. Of yeah, those? we've used some at. Uh, we've got a, a few show cattle at the house, and um, we've this the second season. We've used two different products, but. Uh, um, had really good luck on on face fly and horn fly control. Um, you know, we've got five or six head of cattle, but um, enough that when we weren't doing it, um, you'd get a noticeable um, uh, accumulation of, of flies on 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 the cattle. Now, stable fly control has been been a challenge for us, so we're we're taking some alternative actions yeah, on that front. The IGRs aren't going to so. work very well for stable yeah. flies. It's on the label though, but it doesn't work very good. That, yeah, yeah, they don't yeah. they don't lay their eggs quite in the same place. So, yeah. but. Um, and in my experience with the IGRs, they work really well for some situations, not as well in others, kind of depending on how many other cattle are, are within fly, flying distance and those types of things. So it's, it's a... How it's far a, can a fly fly? Um, <laughs> how I much do. wood can a woodchuck chuck? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but far enough that, that basically, you know, if neighboring cattle aren't on an insect growth regulator, I'm not going to see as much benefit on my operation. That's right. Because uh, they, they'll cross over. They'll cross. Certainly f fence line contact and, and even quarter mile, little half mile. Yeah. I mean, they, they can go a little ways if they know there's going to be a meal. But the, you, you talked about the life and where they live. So when we talked about may, maybe two to 300 horn flies, that's where we'd have intervention or concerns. Face flies, you said many fewer. 10, 15, 20 face flies is a lot. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. So if you see those there, but you won't see them. The horn flies spend most of their time on the cattle. What about face flies? Face flies actually spend most of their time off of the cattle, and only a relatively small amount of their time on the cattle. Which is also one of the reasons why some of our controls don't work as well for face flies. Because if we're using uh, tags or dusters or oilers, uh, the the horn flies are going to be in contact with that chemical, 
and hopefully they're, die. And they're taking blood meals. They're taking blood meals, so they're going to die. Yeah. Those those um, face flies, they'll come into contact with those chemicals, but then they fly away and they don't spend that much time around them. So they're not as easy to kill. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you mentioned the, the different methods. So we can use fly tags, dusters, back rubs. Uh, you can put a pour on. And you said maybe you don't want to start that early in the season except the IGRs, and then we talked about IGRs, but when do you want to start fly control? Does it depend on your application method? How do you, how do you decide that? Well, it does kind of depend on your application method because um, technically what we'd like to do is wait until there's about 200 flies on it per side, uh, which might be about now uh, to start your fly control. For many money, um, ranchers, we've already kind of handled the cattle and so we may have already put in ear tags earlier than that, which maybe isn't ideal for fly control, but it, it's when we handle the cattle. And uh, on, in contrast, though, if you were going to wait and do some, you know, branding time processing of calves and those kinds of things in a few weeks, that might be a good time to to start the fly control. Excellent. Because so, we usually get what seventy to ninety days sort of effective coverage on on fly tags, and you want to have the back end of that still. Kind of August, September, which is a typically the big, at least around here, seems to be the biggest fly load right. challenge. And yeah, the the, the try good. to reach a balance there yeah. on on how long it takes, and and I think that's depending on what you're controlling. As we talked about here, you've got your face flies, your horn flies are the one of our biggest concerns from an economic standpoint, and we could use different methodology of control, either the IGR insect growth regulator that's feed through the fly tags, the, the back rubbers, the dusters, have a plan for how you're gonna apply those. And then there's different approach. chemical types, and the chemical types, you wanna have some sort of rotation. So right. back, to, back to having a plan rather than waiting till I see flies and say, well, I'm gonna put something out there and then changing my plan in a, in a month or two. So have a season plan, and have a multi-year plan would be one of our one of our take homes. Yeah, we don't have a livestock entomologist here, so we lean a lot on Justin Talley at Oklahoma State, and Justin does a, a an annual report on uh, fly tag trials and sort of has some really good advice on um, which products to use, when to use them, what to expect in terms of control, that sort of thing. So, yeah. shout out to Justin. So. One of the one of the other things that, that we were talking about before, Dustin, you've got some travels coming out next week. Uh, yeah, so next week we'll be heading out to Loveland, Colorado, to participate in the the Colorado Cattlemen's twenty eighteen, I guess their annual convention. Um, it's on like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is when the convention takes place. Tuesday is when they've got a, a day long of different speakers coming in to talk about different things. So, for example, I'll be talking. Uh, I think the title of my talk is What is Data Telling Us? And so they want me to talk about three to four upcoming risks or risks that we'll see in the near future. Uh, risks to the industry? Risk to the individual producers. Risk to so, producers. So as an example, could be price risk or drought risk or, or related yeah. to climate change, uh, those kinds of risks. So we'll talk about three, three to four risks and kind of what data tells us about them, how we might be able to mitigate, uh, things like that. Excellent. And Bob, you went to you went to Pennsylvania last week. I had a really good meeting. I went to Pennsylvania and I got to speak to the state coordinators for the Beef Quality Assurance Program. And um, you know, one of the things that I'm getting, I mentioned this before, I'm getting old enough that that there's a lot of uh, people involved in the beef industry that are quite a bit younger than I am. No. And so at this meeting, you know, um, although there were there were some guys that you know had been in BQA and, and a lot of the guys that really helped get that program started. 
Um, there were also a lot of people that were relatively new to Beef Quality Assurance. And so we talked a little bit about kind of the history that Beef Quality Assurance, that program really started uh, in the early 80s, specifically to address some injection site lesions and drug residue um, issues that were uh, really seriously impacting our, uh, our, our interaction with consumers. So what, do you, what injection site lesions, like what kind of issues were So first of all, uh, injection sites in higher priced cuts, such as is in the round in the, in the, in the rear end of the cattle, um, abscesses, so infections, drug in with a dirty needle, those types of things. So BQA really started with some take home points of moving our injections up to the neck getting as many injections under the skin or subcutaneous rather than in the muscle and changing needles frequently, keeping those needles sharp. So a lot about just um, some quality of our, control. Yeah, our injection product quality control. And I think the BQA program has been very successful in, in those Hugely areas. successful, yeah. Yeah. Hugely and, successful. And, and then it's kind of evolved from there. It's brought in some other issues that, that affect um, uh, quality of, of the the meat product we're raising as well as the cattle. So some of the animal handling, animal welfare, and and even some base disease biosecurity are working their way into some of that BQA training. Yeah, and, and you've been through that training, the BQA training? Yeah, I have, and, and we encourage, so at the Purebred Unit that I'm faculty coordinator for, we, we encourage all of our students to go through that as well. Just uh, we got to do a whole set of animal care and use stuff on campus, but um, having that industry exposure, um, you know, a couple of the pieces I like the best are sort of the stockmanship components. So, mm -hmm. you know, helping um, people sort of get their head around the importance of good stockmanship skills and the benefits that brings in terms of both animal and handler safety. Um, but also now some of the transportation stuff. I think one of the things that as an industry, um, you know, there's a lot of ELD um, uh trucking sort of stuff coming um the canadians actually have a very extensive regulation on cattle transportation i don't know we we'll get to that here in the states but we can avoid some of that regulation if we do a good job good. handling and, and transporting cattle so yeah and and a couple of things that 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 i found at this meeting because we had state coordinators from across the country and so even though there's kind of a national bqa program and curriculum um, it's really applied at the state and local level. And so, you know, we had coordinators there from uh, Wyoming and Washington, and they had different issues, most important to their producers than, say, we also had trainers there from um, Arkansas, Mississippi, and they had different concerns. And so one of the things that I think has been successful about BQA or Beef Quality Assurance Training is the fact that although there's kind of some overarching training that's available to everyone in the country, the, the trainers are local. They, they know the, the problems and the concerns that their local producers have, and they, do their, they, they make the training appropriate for, for their local That's area. That's fantastic. Not a one-size-fits-all. One no, and, and so a lot of the BQA training is done in these face-to-face -face training sessions, um, and then there's, there's a, an exam at the end and cert certification. But you can also do online BQA, and that's probably what your yeah, employees were doing. There's we, some we do online, online. Yep. and you can get to that through bqa.org. So if you aren't BQA certified and you work with beef cattle, uh, I highly encourage you to go to bqa.org and take that training and become BQA certified. And it's it's available online, and that's through the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And so our, our take home there on beef quality assurance is. It, it is a program that started in the past for a specific reason, but it's expanded 
now covers a lot of topics. And so whether you're new to the beef industry or you've been in the beef industry a long time, we'd highly recommend getting BQA certified. Uh, it covers a variety of topics and I've been through it a, a couple times and you, you learn something every time you, every time you go through it. I agree, it. it's good. So one of, one of the last things we, we wanted to address today, we got a question on bloat. Bob, you wanna describe kind of the question? Sure, with uh, sort of the um, drought sort of conditions around parts of Kansas, uh, one of the, the questions I've recently got as well, we've got a little bit of alfalfa, we're sort of debating between, you know, do we try to continue to put that up because it's gonna have limited productivity from a, potentially a hay standpoint, are we better off grazing it? So, um, and that's, we probably won't get into the, the economics of that today, but um, one of the big concerns, of course, if you're gonna turn out on uh, alfalfa or other clover legume type products is bloat. So um, we gotta kind of think through that process of how do we introduce animals to uh, a high legume diet, particularly fresh legumes, um, to prevent bloat. So. Yeah, well, bloat is definitely a disease that will, will kill some cattle if you're not careful. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the concerns, and you mentioned high legumes, so alfalfa, one example, uh, clover is another. Yep. You'll see you'll see pastures. So one of the one of the things we try to do is have a where where it may not be the sole source of their diet and not turning them out on there when they're really ready to just go after it and and eat just that. Uh, the other thing you can do there's some uh, control mechanisms. We can put out some blocks. We'll see that individual animals will have different either susceptibility or they're preferentially eating, eating that a little, a little bit different. Yeah. So keeping an eye on them, uh, getting them off there. But the, one of the big things, if possible, is some sort of dilution so that they're, yep. they're not just eating that legumes. And then once they make an adjustment, uh, they tend to do a little bit better with it. Probably. Yeah. It seems in, in my experience when we've had groups of, of cattle out grazing alfalfa or clover, there's always a, a handful, you know, two or three or a handful of calves that really are the ones that are bloating and sometimes what you're forced to do is just take them off they you know for some reason Split that they're them. they're more likely to bloat and then the rest of the group seems to do all right yeah. uh, and so rather than just continually fighting with those that seem to be at high risk uh, a lot of times we just remove them and then the rest of the group does fine and sort of the the one of the introduction strategies is a little like kind of higher nitrate grazed forages don't turn them out really hungry right yeah. so um Put them on uh, if you can. Uh, uh, free choice, um, you know, prairie hay or brome hay. Get them filled up with something. So when you turn them out, um, they just... eat a little bit of clover the first day or two. Um, and I've heard some, you know, good strategies of, you know, we'll turn them out for half the day. Fill them up two days on hay. Turn them out for half a day the first day. Pin them back up. Let them eat yeah. hay. Fill up again on hay. Then the next day, turn them out all day. And then the third day, then they're, they're kind kicked of, out. Yeah. yeah. So well, they're you know. The, these legumes, alfalfa and clover, are excellent grazing, but they do take some additional management compared to grasses. So the the, the bloat blocks, right, um, are a, a potential helpful yeah. aid, and they're in a surfactant, right? So yeah, they keep the a, bubbles yeah. from forming to make frothy bloat, and um, bloat treatment often is some kind of surfactant treatment yeah. as well. So and I, and I think the biggest thing with those, they, they are an effective, as you described, an effective aid. They're not the sole solution. So we can't just put out a bloat block and say, hey, yeah, everything's good. We're, we're yeah. ready to go. Kind Still like our, adjusting them in right. and using that as a part of the plan, I, I think is great. Yeah, it's an integrated approach. And kind of like the IGR treatment and the fly stuff, yep. you got to have consumption or it doesn't work. So, That's exactly yeah, right. They, they all have to eat they it. They all have to eat some. So. Excellent. 
Well, we, we've had, uh, hope you have a great week. One of the other things that I, I wanted to mention, we, we just talked about a question. If you have a question or a comment, if you want to contact us at, at bci at ksu.edu, uh, we'd, be, we'd be excited to hear from you. And we're going to have a drawing the end of the month for anybody that sends in a question or a comment uh, to receive a prize. So we're happy to have you listen to us and we'll join you again next week.